100% universal access is not only desirable, but also possible and affordable. My name is Jakob Mulugeta. I'm a professor of energy and development policy at University College London. Warm greetings and welcome to Power People, a new podcast series from the Africa Progress Panel. The Africa Progress Panel consists of 10 distinguished individuals from the private and public sector who advocate for equitable and sustainable development for Africa. Kofi Annan chairs the panel and is closely involved in its day-to-day work. The other panel members are Michel Kamdesu, Peter Eigen, Bob Geldof, Grasa Machel, Strive Masiwa, Lina Moholo, Olushigo Obasanjo, Robert Rubin, and Tijan Chiam. I'm Max Bankale Jarrett, the Deputy Director of the APP Secretariat, and also your host for this podcast series. In each episode of the series, we'll be discussing a range of issues linked to the 2015 Africa Progress Report, Power, People, Planet, Seizing Africa's Energy and Climate Opportunities, which sets out a path to the energy transformation that Africa needs. The Power People Planet report calls for a tenfold increase in power generation in Africa by 2030. Why? Well, because the need for modern energy in Africa is so, so urgent. Here are some stark facts. 621 million Africans currently live without access to electricity. And sadly, 600,000 die each year from household air pollution, simply because they rely for cooking on biomass. Throughout this Power People podcast series, I speak to individuals who are working to address this challenge by focusing on the opportunities that currently exist in Africa to, so to speak, power the future now. My guest in this edition is Jakob Mulegeta. Now, Jakob, you're an African, you're a professor, you are a professor at one of the leading universities, not just in Great Britain, but in the world. Uh, you're working at a global level, but tell me, I mean, you're from Ethiopia, uh, what currently inspires you and excites you most about Africa's energy sector, if anything? Well, Max, I think we're entering into a, a new terrain when it comes to uh, dealing with energy. I mean, first of all, I think the, the question around energy for transformation and energy for well-being is beginning to be defined in a real way across the policy spectrum in Africa. So that's that's you know a very important message you know to take forward. The other aspect is that in addition to the fact that the issue of energy is being taken very seriously, we also know that transformation requires energy, and and the continent is short of critical infrastructures. Now, you know we heard you know quite a lot about how Africa is rising and Africa is is doing better than it has done over the past uh, you know, 40, 50 years, and is entering into a new development terrain. But what we are also witnessing is the great urgency to scale up the, the energy systems, the development of energy and, uh, and other infrastructures. But countries are also investing and they are being very ambitious. I mean, you have a, you know, some notable examples such as Ghana, Kenya, Ethiopia, that are not only uh, creating, you know, the enabling environment, but also as as countries are beginning to pool some resources and devote resources to expanding their energy programs. 
Jakob, I recently had lunch in London with the new Africa editor of the Financial Times, the FT, David Pilling. And he's a gentleman who has spent many, many years um, covering Asia and the transformation there. You've mentioned the key role that energy plays in transformation in Africa. Now, I'll put you what David asked me. Why has it taken Africa so long to wise up to this and really start to move? Well, a, a, a number of things. I think it's important in, to, to recognize, you know, what do you need energy for? I mean, energy is for economic development and to, to, to essentially change, you know, the matrix of, uh, of development itself. And I think, you know, you could argue that, you know, there were a number of uh, rationales partly to do with, you know, with the whole difficulty of development issues. Some may even argue that structural adjustment programs, failed structural adjustment programs, have uh, have not really delivered the type of development that Africa, African policymakers um, wished for. So I think there were a combination of challenges, you know, uh, at the beginning, uh, rather until until the present. But what we've seen in the past 10 years is a new kind of thinking and and perhaps even a a period of optimism that we are seeing in in Africa and of course you know as the economies are developing as the demand for greater well-being is beginning to be discussed at the heart of it is well how do you then take it to the next level well you need your energy systems to be scaled up you need your energy systems to be developed further and I think, you know, we are in that stage, you know, when, you know, there is a lot of optimism on development and we're seeing real benefits of it, but also beginning to see where are the, the bottlenecks, you know, that need to be addressed and energy is one of them. So as we as Africans start to really address these bottlenecks, what is it that you think that uh, we can learn, we should be learning from other regions? And I don't just mean Europe, where you are right now, or even North America. What can we learn from Latin America, the Caribbean, and Asia? Absolutely. Lots, lots to learn. I mean, you know, just on straight, you know, energy front, for instance, you know, you have fascinating examples, particularly across, uh, across Asia and to, to, to a large extent in Latin America as well. I mean, you have the example of Vietnam. Vietnam had, you know, something like uh, 14% electricity access in 1990, which is pretty much, you know, where, you know, the lower grouping, you know, within Africa is at the moment or has been for for that length of time. But in the past, in just, you know, a period of 10, 15 years, what they have done is quite remarkable. And right now they are sitting at around 90, 95% access. So in a matter of, you know, just 20 years, they have completely transformed their energy picture. And this is to do with a combination of things, having the right policies, first of all, and the right, you know, delivery mechanisms. I mean, one thing, for instance, you know, it's always challenging is that last mile. You ask, you know, a number of policymakers across Africa, and they will tell you, well, our energy access levels are at 50, 60 percent. But when you really scratch the surface, the reality is that it's about 20 percent. The 50, 60 percent they may be talking about is that transmission lines have reached um communities or close enough you know to communities but that last mile is always going to be the challenge and in the case of vietnam what they've done is they created local institutions that can actually buy bulk power and distribute it across so you have you know this national and local interaction in terms of infrastructure investment so that's quite fascinating in that uh, in that way you got ex- other examples like in uruguay which is now sitting at 
something like 95% of its electricity comes from renewables. That's a, a major upgrade, you know, from where it was some 10 years ago. And at the heart of this also is the in the Uruguayan uh, program is local capacity, local innovation. You know, where th this isn't, you know, a lot of the expertise is not actually coming from abroad, but they've actually developed their expertise within. So you have lots of these kinds of, um, you know, uh, examples. You have lessons, you know, from Bhutan, for instance. It's a slight, you know, off the left field, if you will, in terms of, you know, Bhutan, the way in which, you know, they approach it is that, you know, embedding technologies or ideas that may come from outside need to fit into the fabric of the country's value systems. And right now, Bhutan, for instance, is a negative emissions country. In other words, you know, they actually, not only are they zero emissions, but they're also negative emissions because they have reforestation programs and so forth that absorb carbon dioxide. So I think countries need to find their uh, their inspiration. And and I do think that a number of countries, you know, you, I mentioned Ethiopia, for example, you know, which has a very ambitious program on, uh, you know, on climate policy uh, about, you know, growing the economy at 15, 10, 15%, but also do that in a manner that you don't increase your greenhouse gas emissions. And they're investing a lot in renewable energy and and also in cross-sectoral kind of you know, infrastructures, such as urban transport systems that run on electricity and electricity coming largely from hydro and so forth. So there is a lot of innovation that's taking place. And I think you know, we are entering into this age where countries are beginning to experiment in all sorts of ways. And it's really exciting moment. But of course, you know, things need to happen fairly quickly because you, people cannot wait and also the, the development agenda needs to, to keep moving. Now, Jakob, you were with us. You've been a friend of APP for some time and you were also with us at Oxford University in January 2015. You then gave input. You helped peer review our report, Power People Planet, which was launched in Cape Town in June 2015. And then we were also uh, very closely engaged around the whole Paris conference itself at the end of 2015. You've been part of the IPCC process for many years. You wrote the energy chapter of one of them, I'm sure. I, I, I think that I got that right, you wrote, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. You wrote a chapter or you led the writing for a chapter of the IPCC, one of the IPCC report. And so with regards to policy issues, what has inspired you or what has disappointed you since the Paris Climate Change Conference at the end of 2015? Well, I mean, you know, we are using Paris as our uh, kind of barometer at the moment in terms of uh, time frame. But I, I think, you know, quite, I'm not sure how much has happened. It's a little too early to to say that much has happened on a pol policy front, you know, since Paris. I mean, the first thing, of course, is that many countries have ratified it. So that's a real advantage, particularly when you're talking about the big countries such as the United States and, and China that have gone ahead and ratified it which is a very important step forward. So I think we can we can be somewhat optimistic that you know we're not going to go into the in the same way that we did with uh, Kyoto. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is there's a lot going on, particularly in the renewable energy uh, field. We know that there are lots of experiments, you know, when it comes to uh, regulations. For instance, uh, a, you know, a raft of countries have implemented you know feed-in tariffs. 
um, with very different results, but nonetheless, quite a lot of experimenting uh, going on there. A whole host of countries such as, I mean, South Africa is a good example, have implemented auction systems that really have ramped up renewable energy investment. So I think these are the, 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 pol- you know, the policies that actually deliver result in a concrete way are beginning to happen. And that's what really inspires me. Uganda, for instance, has got a very interesting you know, feed-in tariff program, although it does still needs external support. But nonetheless, it is beginning to, to move the field in a, in, a, in a very positive way. And what would you say your perspective is on the role or the contribution of the Africa Progress Panel report, Power People Planet, in that regard? Huge. When the Power People Planet report came out, I was pleasantly surprised at how it was uh, extremely well received. And I think, you know, it was released at a perfect moment, in a sense, you know, when, when the world needed some little bit of extra bit of inspiration. And of course, the report itself, the quality was superb. So that's the first thing you could say about it. And the second thing is, of course, you know, from where it was launched and how it also consulted widely the the energy community to make an input into this uh, report. So in a sense, you know, the the report itself, I would say, is not just owned by the Africa Progress Panel. It is owned by a wider energy community. And I think that is the real strength of it. So... um, it has changed, you know. It has, in in so many ways, uh, raised the the game when it comes, you know, to uh, to energy. It's it brought, you know, huge attention to the question of energy development, transformation, but also energy, not just for large scale type of energy interventions, but also, you know, the smaller scale, that the kind of energy that that is often forgotten, energy for the poor. So I think it is a, a, a very, very, you know, it is a seminal report, I would say, which came at the right time and also had, you know, that the kind of high quality uh, analysis that it embodied. Now, Jakob, I want to turn now to a question that I'm asking everyone who's contributing to this APP Power People podcast series. And it's this, if you only had 30 seconds to convince an African head of state or government of the urgency of advancing the energy agenda, what would your message, Jakob Mulligetta, what would your message be? (laughs) 30 seconds. 30 seconds, okay. I would say, sir, as you know, energy is crucial and central to transformation, to water sanitation and, and, and sanitation services to your transport systems. Energy is the centerpiece of, the, of, of development. And one thing I could say is, with all conviction, that 100% universal access is not only desirable, but also possible and affordable. So let us move together. Jakob, I take that on board, but you're talking to a Liberian and my head of state is a woman, so what would you say to her? <laughs> I would say, Madam... You are better than any of our heads of states understand these challenges because you have been at the, at the World Bank long enough to know the, the, the real deep development challenges that uh, the continent faces. Madam, 100% universal access 
is not only desirable, but also possible and affordable. So the, the last question is this, very last question. In your opinion, Jakob, what do you think the Africa Progress Panel can do to further help advance Africa's energy agenda? Well, I mean, it's already, you know, it's already done a huge amount. You know, first of all, with the, with the release, the publication of the Power, People and Planet uh, uh, report. So that's actually raised the level of discussion on, on, on energy. The APP has a convening power. It has to continue using that. And, and of course, you know, with that convening power comes responsibility. And what I would say, again, is the APP has used its role or its, you know, its stature very effectively, I would say, in bringing, you know, a number of issues. It's not just energy, but also agriculture, climate, and, and a whole host of other issues. And I would say the other thing is, I think the APP needs to make as much noise as possible about building local capacity. Because without, the, the, without building local capacity, and here I'm talking about institutional, I'm talking about knowledge capacity, then forever the African continent will be dependent on, on knowledge and, and however you know, it may be framed from, from elsewhere. So in a sense, you know, it is important that we build the local capacity with the help of the Africa Progress Panel. For example, we know, you and I know, uh, Max, that the African Renewable Energy Initiative that's on the table, where a lot of work has gone into it and quite a lot of push is going to be needed. And here, I think the Africa Progress Panel could actually be extremely beneficial in, in raising these programs higher up the political agenda for African heads of states. Professor Jakob Mulegeta, as I would say in Addis, to you. Betam Amasekanalo Gash Jakob, thank you so much for your time. I know we know how busy you are. We really appreciate it. Betam Amasekanalo, Max. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. All the best. You've been listening to an episode of Power People, a podcast series production of the Africa Progress Panel Secretariat. I am Max Bankole Jarrett. My co-producer and studio manager on this podcast series is Dan Graham. For more information on the work of Kofi Annan and his colleagues on the Africa Progress Panel, please visit our website at www.africaprogresspanel.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Africa Progress. And please do join our growing community of over 1 million supporters on Facebook. We really look forward to engaging with you as we continue to actively promote and highlight the myriad opportunities in Africa to power the future now. Forwards ever and all the best.